in your bulletins, you have uh, a flyer. I'd love to pull your attention to that if you wouldn't mind. Here's my dilemma. I speak without knowing. You know, I, um, I told you last week, um, when you walk out of here this next week, I said last week, you're going to know God's will for your life. And here's my dilemma. <clears throat> my dilemma is when I go to study, I ask God to reveal to me what He wants to, to be mentioned through me. I, I, I ask Him, as I ask in front of you guys every week, I ask Him to move me aside. I ask Him to just empty me of myself. I don't want to have any preconceived thoughts. I have one, no preconceived ideas. There's no particular person or groups of people that I want to speak to. I want to speak to God and His people, and I want Him to reveal Himself. And so my dilemma is, when I, when I say to you, next week, when you come here, you're going to know the will of God. When you walk out of here, you're, there'll be no mistaking what is God's will for your life. What I don't realize is when I go home and try to study, then I try to figure out, what do I take away? Of all the material that I've, I've, gone, I've, I've gathered knowing the will of God, what part don't you want me to mention, Father? And almost resoundingly, I hear from no voice, but just something in my spirit, I hear said, who are you to take away what I'm going to teach? Who are you to qualify what is going to be said? I give you information, you pass it out. And so I only was able to get through the first two sections of the will of God. And I ask your forgiveness. I I, I don't mean to, to... linger in a book any more longer than we ought to but but I, I want you to know my dilemma when I sit before my computer and when I sit before my Bible and when I try to study the Word of God I ask God what needs to be said and resoundingly I hear everything you teach them everything and so I, I thanks and so I ask I ask your forgiveness um, but I had this flyer made out because I realized I wasn't going to get it through at all. And I, I made this promise to you that when you walk out of here, you'll know the will of God. And so I'm going to take you through it just this little bit at a time. But, but you're going to have to come back to, to find out what, what all of this means. Uh, not, this is not a commercial either. It, it is just a, a fact of the dilemma that I have in what I try to do. The first thing it says on this flyer is John chapter 6, verse 40. It is written by John, This is the will of my Father. Now, when you're reading, whenever you're reading Scripture and you come to something like that, you really need to stop. You need to, to, to say, Lord, this looks like it's hallowed ground. I'm going to be finding out what is your will. And so it is written, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself, Jesus says, will raise that person up on the last day. The word behold there is a wonderful word. It it means to examine thoroughly, like as looking through a microscope. You see, God's Word and, and God Himself is not afraid for any of us to examine Him thoroughly, that we might behold who He is, so that we might believe in who He is, so that we might have 
eternal life, the first will of God, without question, is that you and I come to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Once we do, the second statement of God's will is found where we started this journey in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine. That's dissipation, Paul writes. But be filled with the Spirit. Today, when you walk out of here, you're going to know without a shadow of a doubt what it means to be a Spirit-filled person. And so God's will is that you and I be saved. Upon that salvation, then God's will is you and I become a spirit filled person and then thirdly in first thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 in this flyer it says this is the will of god your sanctification in other words you're being set apart fourthly in first thessalonians the fifth chapter the 18th verse it says in everything give thanks this is god's will for you in other words we are to be thankful with what god brings our way that's his will Look, if there's ever a group of people that ought to be thankful, if there's ever a group of people that ought to be joyful and happy, it's us. It's those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're going to heaven sooner than later. We're going to be with the Lord forever. If there ever is a people that ought to be happy, it's us. And so he says in everything, give thanks. It's God's will for you. And then lastly, looking at the will of God in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 5, through 15, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as to a king, as the one who is in authority, or to governors as sent by, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, we may silence the ignorance of foolish men. We learned last week that uh, the Bible says a fool is a person who says in his heart there is what? No God. And so it says the will of God is by you and me being a light in this world in which we live. So it says this is the will of God. You and I will silence those that say there is no God by doing what is right. For God. The last statement here is in the book of Psalms, the 37th chapter, the fourth verse. You see, it says, Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He'll give you the desire of your heart. Here is God's will. Listen to it. You must be saved, you must walk a spirit filled life. You need to sanctify yourselves and you need to be thankful in all things and you need to do what is right so as to silence the fools of this world that says there is no God. When you do those five things, then you can delight yourselves in the Lord your God and He'll give you the desire of your heart. You want to know what God's will is? Once you do those five things, His will is whatever makes you happy, go for it. Whatever you want to accomplish, do. That's God's will for you. Listen, it's, it's not unlike a parent. A parent who, 
who has a child that is obedient in all things. I know it's fantasy, but listen for a while. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. But you have a son or a daughter that just is obedient and who just wants to please the family and please her or his parents. Listen, when they do that, would you not allow them to just do whatever it is that is a desire of their heart? Well, our Father who is in heaven so wants to give us the desire of our hearts. But first and foremost, we need to be saved. We need to be Spirit-filled people. We need to be people who are sanctified, set ourselves apart. We need to be a people who give thanks in everything. And we need a pe- to be a people who are a light in this world, who by doing what is right, we will silence those who claim there is no God. And when we do those things, then we can delight ourselves in the Lord and He, He will give us the desires of our hearts. Now, the, to really find out what that all means, let's, let's first start on this journey and, and, and look at the first two. Would you please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just read this section of Scripture Because this is what started us on the journey of trying to find out what is God's will. And I'm here to say to you, and you're going to find out today if you've not already realized that God's will is not that difficult to find. It says, therefore, in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, it says in verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is an absolute natural lead-in to the whole idea of family living of reversing the curse that we are going to start studying as soon as we finish this understanding and knowing the will of God. It takes us right into the area where we as husbands are are, are to love our wives like Jesus Christ loves us, the church, and, and wives, you are to be subject to your own husband as in the fear of the Lord. And children, how you are to be obedient to your parents. And parents, how you are to love and care for and not exacerbate your children and then how we are to work in the workplace whether we be an owner or someone who just is working for someone how we are to live our lives as believers this is a great lead-in to all of that so let's pray first dear heavenly father Father, we want to praise you because there is none like you. No one, no one, no one on on the face of this earth nor in the heavens itself. This great universe that people just, we are like a speck and you have created it all. You have created every single bit of it, you tell us, just by the word of your voice. And we, we as a people, human beings, frail as we are, can come into your presence 
and ask of you, Father, blessings and and forgiveness and direction. And dear Father, it is our privilege to say that we know you. And Father, may we be obedient to walk with you. Lord, would you please move me aside? Would you open up all of our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, the Bibles that we hold in our laps? And and just move me aside so that we might hear from you. And Maybe uh, by the grace of an almighty God, know what is your will for our lives. And so, Father, we, we are pleased to honor you the best we know how. I want to thank you for... Um, for Craig and for Jan and for Susan. I want to thank you that um, the tone is set, Father, that we might come before your grace and worship you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, I, I, I would guess, having been in ministry now a little while, one of the most commonly asked questions is, how do I know what is the will of God for my life? And if I could know it, what am I to do with it then? I I think that most people, most believers who have tried to groan in their faith at all would, would acknowledge that God has a plan for us. But how we find it and when we find it, what we do with it, well, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? And Some Christians seem to think that God is playing hide and seek with us as we try to seek His will. And they'll question, listen, if God wanted us to know, why in the world won't He just simply tell us? Well, the point is, He has. But some of us are so preoccupied with this world in which we live and these other things that we do that we're not really searching for His will. Too many of us go through life thinking that God is this great, big, wonderful Easter bunny in heaven, you know. And He's hidden all sorts of Easter eggs in the lawn and we're like children running to and fro and trying to find them and He's up there saying, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. It's nothing like that. Some folks think this, that when they do find His will by some spiritual, magical moment, say a dream or a vision or some other miracle or just plain luck. They might be afraid to hear what it is, what God might ask them to do or where God might ask them to go. scary. I wrote down here, what if you knew for certain who you were to marry? What if you knew for certain what occupation you were to seek? What if you knew for certain, if you're a young person, what school to attend or what decision you need to make in every situation you find yourself in? How would you like to know that? Well, I want you to know that God has told you. I'm here to say to you that God has a very special will for each and every single one of us who's here and he wants you to know his will and it is not a hide and seek game that he is playing with you and me look you most of you have been here long enough you know me think for a moment let me ask you a question if god 
was to reveal His will to you and me, how in the world would you imagine that He would pass this information along to us? How in the world would He communicate His will with you and me if He wanted you and me to know it? What do you think? Thank you. In every service, I had somebody that did this. This is it. This is how He reveals His will to you and me. Our Lord God has revealed His will, and we best realize that God has revealed Himself to us in two very distinct ways that will never change. And that is, He has revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. We want to see what God is like. We need to understand and study the life of Jesus Christ, the things that He said, the the things that He did, how He acted and reacted. There is a picture of God Almighty on earth. The second way He has revealed Himself to us is through the Word of God. It isn't some dream. It isn't some miracle. It isn't some far-fetched thing that you and I have to hope that God will show us some way, somehow. He has revealed Himself through His Son and through His Word. I would like to show you parts and partial of that. Hold your place here in Ephesians and turn with me in the middle of the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 1. Would you please turn there? I'm going to wait for you to get there if you have a Bible. And again, if you do not have a Bible and you cannot afford to have your own Bible, would you please come to us? I think Pastor Bill said to me, Bill, are you here? This service? How many did we give out last week when he said that? Six of them. And so we have more. We have more. And so if you need a Bible, come to see Pastor Bill or come to see Pastor Bill or then you can always come and see Pastor Bill and, and we'll, we'll get you a Bible. I'm looking around to see where everybody is. Don't see me. I don't know where the keys are to anything. That's the truth. That is the truth. I don't know how to turn on and off the air conditioning in this place. I do not. You want to know something that's the truth? I do not have a key to this church. Oh, that's not true. That's a lie. I have one of those things. It's a, it's a, you, it's a, there's a, you push, a, you don't have to put a key in. It's a thing that makes something beep and you can open the door. And one day Kay and I came here early. We put, we beeped it. And what happened? The, the, the alarm went off. And we looked at each other and said, now what? I didn't know the combination. I do not sign the checks. My name is not required to be on the checks. It's none of this stuff. And so if you need a Bible, Pastor Bill knows where they are. And uh, he will help you. And we would be honored to start you on this journey uh, to have a Bible. Now in Proverbs chapter 1, I would really encourage you, if you, if you don't do this, to... To find time where you just read the Bible for no other reason than just to enjoy. I mean, you don't have to, you don't, you're not trying to learn anything. You're not trying to uh, capture a moment. You're just reading to, to have a time that you're speaking with God. And to consider that, that God Almighty Himself is going to talk to you. And so when you do that and you get to your Bible, it's, it's really fun to read it in a way that you you make it simple to more easy for you to understand for instance now i'm going to try and do that with some of these verses here 
And we're going to jump in in the middle, which I don't normally do at all. But we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 is similar to Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. In Psalms 14, 1, it says, A fool has said in his heart that there is what? No God. That's a fool. That's God's idea of a real fool. And so Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and a fool is one who despises wisdom and instruction. A fool is a person who despises wisdom and instruction. In Ephesians, we were told, Look, don't be unwise. Be wise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So therefore, Paul is saying, we can understand the will of the Lord. Let's not be unwise. So Proverbs tells us very clearly that the fear or the respect or the love of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. A fool would despise this knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding. Now, verses 8 to 19 tells us plainly and simply, and I'm not going to read it right now, but don't hang around with the wrong, with the wrong crowd. You're going to get in trouble. Just be careful who you hang around with. If, if you have a tendency to hang around with people and you end up getting in trouble with them all the time, break that relationship off. It says, remember, if your right eye makes you stumble, then what do you do? You tear that thing out. If your right hand makes you stumble, move it away from you. And so it talks about, in verses 8 through 19, the wrong crowd. Don't hang with them. But I want to get to the crux of what, what I want to say about, the, about understanding the will of God. And it's, and it's wisdom. Don't misunderstand, Paul says. Don't walk away around as someone who is unwise, but walk around as someone who is wise. It says in verse 20 of Proverbs chapter 1, Wisdom shouts in the streets and and wisdom lifts its voice in the square and and wisdom at the head of a noisy street cries out and wisdom at the entrance of gates in the city utters her saying basically what that is saying in proverbs is wisdom comes from everywhere you you really can't miss it you got to want to miss it to miss it it's at the gate it's in the middle of the streets it's at the town square wisdom can be found anywhere and everywhere. But there's a problem. Verse 22 says, How long, you naive person, how long are you going to love simplicity? And scoffers, how long are you going to delight yourselves in scoffing? And and fools, how long are you going to hate knowledge? For crying out loud. I added that for crying out loud. Rather, we are told, turn to my reproof and... Behold, I I will pour out my spirit. I'm in verse 23. Turn to my reproof. I I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. You see, that is why we study the Word of God here at this church. The Bible tells us that God wants to make His words known to us. And we are told here in this particular verse that He will pour out His Spirit and He will make His words known to us. But, He says in verse 24, because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and nobody, nobody paid attention. Let 
me make a commercial right now. Do you know why we ask you to get involved in Third Friday? Do you know why we ask you to get involved in a home Bible study? Do you know why we want you in a small group? And, 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 and do you know why we beg of you? Read through the Bible with us this year in the Old Testament. Let the Word of God speak to you. We beg of you because we want you to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. It's not for our benefit. Honest, it's not. I, I cannot tell you the blessings I had after the first service. Someone came to me, and I will not reveal all that was said, but it was a very, it was a moment that anybody and everybody that, that wants to try to teach would long for, would just long for. Another person came up and said, I think I got it. I think I finally got it. Let me tell you, as far as, as far as yours and my walk with Jesus Christ, our walk is, is, is wrapped up in one word, obedience. That's it, obedience. A friend of mine just wrote me an email a couple of days ago, lives in another state. I used to play baseball with him. He's about my age, which means he's getting older than dirt. And he told me in his email that his wife is losing her eyesight slowly but very surely. She barely can see right now. She has AFib problem. I don't know, Doc, you can tell me more about that. But her health is really failing her. And he said this. He says, I, she's at a place where she's kind of in a wheelchair. I have to care for her 24-7. And she's getting angry. And he said... I must admit, so am I, a little bitter. He's a believer. I wrote him back. I said, I don't know exactly what to say. To you. No, he also wrote, would you please give me a verse to handle this situation? Someplace in the Bible that I can read to handle this situation? I wrote him back. I said, you know, uh, I've never been through what some of these things you wrote your wife is going through. But I said, I can't imagine living all the years that I've lived, being able to see and all of a sudden have my sight be taken away from me, not being able to see my grandkids, not to be able to see my wife's beautiful face in the morning, not being able to uh, see those things. I said, angry? You're lucky you don't live with me. That would be, you'd find real anger there, real bitterness there. And I said, as far as finding a verse for you, let me tell you what. I said, there is no secret formula. There is no magical potion that you can turn to and all of a sudden it'll be fixed. Walk with Jesus Christ is a daily walk of obedience, plain and simple. And it took me a long time after I finished that letter to him to hit send because I felt like I was offending him at every level. But I felt he wrote me for a reason. In fact, I know he did. And so I finally hit send. And this morning, I just got to read a, a note from him saying, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I knew that you wouldn't mince words. I knew that you would tell it to me straight. And you would say what I needed to hear. I thank you. I will try to be obedient to my Lord and love my wife like Jesus Christ loves the church. That's what I wrote it. I said, that's your job. You want to know a verse? That's a verse. Love your wife. So, uh, 
like Jesus Christ loves the church. And so it says in Proverbs chapter 1, look, verse 24, I called you, you refused. I stretched out my hand to you. You didn't pay attention. That's why we plead with you to get involved. We plead with you to get involved, not for our own benefit. We plead with you to get involved so that God might speak to you, so that you might understand what is the will of God. Look what he says. Look, and you ought to shudder at this verse. In verse 28, it says, When you call on me, I won't answer, says the Bible. You'll seek me diligently, but but you won't find me, says the Bible. Why? You must ask that question. Why? Because it says in the next verse, verse 29, because you hated knowledge and you didn't choose to fear the Lord. But if you look at verse 33, it says, but to the person who listens to me, that person will live securely. That person will be at ease from the dread of evil. Why do we choose to force you or try to entice you into studying the Word of God? Why do we do these things? It's not for our benefit. It's for yours. It's so that you might be obedient unto the Lord your God. So you want to find God's will? I want to help you. Let's look. First thing about the will of God is in John chapter 6, verse 40 that you have written on that flyer. But a verse that I want to turn to you first is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Listen. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, this is good and this is acceptable, Timothy, in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So first and foremost concerning the will of God is that God desires for every single person who walks this earth to be saved and for every single person to understand His truth. But some refuse to listen. Some deny the very essence of who God is. And just like it said in Proverbs, He said, I called you, you refused. I stretched out my hand and you didn't pay attention. So now you're going to call on me? And He says, I won't answer. You're going to seek me? You're not going to find me. first and foremost, is to become a believer. If you've never come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and upon Him and Him alone, not religion, we're not talking, we're not selling any religion here. We're not selling any denomination here. There's no A, B, C, D, and E that you have to do, any hoops that you have to jump to to have eternal life. No, the Bible makes it clear. You trust and believe in Jesus Christ and Him alone, and you have everlasting life. And until you do that, there is absolutely no reason in God's green earth for you and me to have been revealed any details about our lives because we have not met the number one qualification, and that is salvation in knowing the will of God. John 6.40 This is the will of my Father. It's on your fire. This is the will of my Father for everyone. That means anyone, anyone, any place, anywhere, everyone who beholds or examines the Son and believes in Him 
trusts by faith, that person may have eternal life, heaven. And Jesus makes this promise, I'll raise that person up on the last day. You are securely held in the very hands of God Almighty. Second point takes us back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through uh, verses 15 to 18. In verse 15, we are told in Ephesians chapter 5 about knowing God's will. We are to be careful how we walk. We're not to be unwise, but wise. We're also to make the most of our time because the, the times in which you and I live are evil, it says. And so he says, don't be foolish. You know the translation of the word foolish in Greek is stupid. Don't be stupid, but know and understand what the will of the Lord God is. Don't, don't get drunk. That's dissipation, but rather be filled with the Spirit. God is pleading with us to not be foolish, but to understand what His will is, to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? That's a very legitimate, very good question. Let me give you a short but very deep theological lesson on being a Spirit-filled person. When you were saved, the moment you asked Jesus Christ to come in your heart, you received the Holy Spirit of God. That's an automatic. You can't stop it. There's some of you here this, this day, perhaps in the first service, perhaps in this service, who all of a sudden you decided, listen, I don't have Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to know what the will of my life is. I want to ask Him to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. The moment you did that, the Spirit of God moved within your lives to live within you. There is absolutely no Christian on the face of this green earth who does not possess the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8, 9, You are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. If indeed, he says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to God. And it is amazing how many Christians think they don't have the Holy Spirit or, or sadly, enough of Him. <laughs> you know, I've heard, I've heard sincere, I've heard older people who've been in church for most of their lives pray, God, send me your Spirit. Are you kidding me? When I hear that prayer from some guys, I, I wonder, not out loud, but I wonder in my heart, is that person a believer? If so... The Holy Spirit's right there in him. You don't need to ask him to come. You don't need to beg for the Spirit of God to come within you. And I've also heard this prayer. This one really cracks me up. Oh God, give me more of your Spirit. As if he comes in doses. As if, as if the Holy Spirit comes, here you can have my leg, but that's all. You see, you realize, don't you, that the Holy Spirit is a person. You just don't get an arm or a leg. He is a part of the triune Godhead. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. And He, the Holy Spirit, lives within you. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have from God? He says, you no longer are your own. Do you know that, Christian? Do you know that your body is a temple of the very Spirit of God? 
And how many times do we ask God for something we already have? We pray for the Holy Spirit and He's already living within us. And so Paul says, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit. You see, the Spirit-filled life is, is plain and simple. It's being saturated with the things of Christ. It's being saturated with the knowledge of His Word. And the only way to be saturated with Christ is to study His Word, period. It is within this, the very Word of God, that we, are, we have the privilege of, of seeing everything that God is. We can see it through His Son and we can read it through His words. And saturation happens in your life and my life when we seriously take to reading the Word of God on a daily basis. That's why we ask you. That's why we beg of you. I realize this. We can't make you. We can't. We can only plead with you. Get to know the Word of God. Get into a small group. Small groups are where you're going to grow. Get into HBF, Home Bible Fellowship. That's where you're going to get connected within the church. Read the Bible. Read through the God book, Old Testament. Read through it this year. See for your own selves what God is going to do for you as you read through the Old Testament. The man that I got these ideas from, John MacArthur, writes that he reads, he's made it a practice to read through the Bible on a basis of a month. In other words, he went through the book of 1 John and he read 1 John every day for a month. He said at the end of the month, he knew 1 John. And then he went to the book of John and he separated the book of John into three parts, verses 1 through 7, 7 through 14, and 15 through 21. And he read the first part for a month. The second part he read for another month. The third part he read for the third month. And he said by the end of the three months, he knew the book of John. He knew where it says, for God so loved the world. And he knew where it was written on his Bible. He could go right to it because he had familiarized himself. He had saturated himself, if you would, with the word of God. Listen to what Isaiah says. Look what Isaiah says and then understand why we do what we do here at the Rock Community Church. Isaiah says in Isaiah 28, 13, the word of the Lord to them will be order on order. Or in some translations it writes precept on precept. Line on line, it repeats itself. Line on line. And then it says here a little and there a little. That's why we study the Bible as we do. We want it line on line. We want it precept on precept. We want to learn here a little and there a little and be saturated with the Word of God. So simply put, a Spirit-filled life is living every moment as though you are standing in the presence of Jesus Christ and with every known sin of yours confessed. The only thing it does say this about the Spirit of God, don't sin because it grieves Him. He doesn't leave you he grieves when you and I sin. And so when we confess our sins, our Lord God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever analyzed prayers? Some pray, Lord God, give me more love. Well, you know, the Bible says that 
that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We already have all the love of God that we'll ever need. It says that in Romans 5, 5. Some people say, God, I need more grace. I need more of your grace. When the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace, by the way, which God says he has already given to us, is sufficient for you. You don't need to ask for more. You have enough. Some people cry out, Lord God, I I don't know how I can handle this situation. Give me more strength. When Philippians 4.13 says that you can do all things through Christ to what? He's already strengthened you and me all that we need. And so we are told, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of God is. And how do I understand His will? It's by being saturated by His Word daily. The more you and I study the Word of God, the more it will saturate us. And we will start to understand, you know, I I really probably shouldn't do that. And then you get to a place where you read the Word of God enough that you say, I know, I shouldn't do that. That's something that I should not do. God starts to move within your life. In John MacArthur's book, he wrote this story. I loved it. There was this concert violinist. And someone came to her and, and asked her, how in the world did, did she become so skilled in playing the violin? And she answered and said that the person asked her, she said, by planned neglect. So what do you mean? She said, I simply planned to neglect everything that was not related to my goal of being a concert violinist. I poured my life into playing and practicing the violin. On one level, I understand that. I remember when my buddies used to go to the beach and chase after all the girls in the swimsuits. We used to go to the mountains and ski. I would usually stay back. I would be found in some gym. So you want to talk about a boring life. I was found in a gym somewhere shooting baskets. Or I was out in the field chasing ground balls and trying to hit a ball. I planned in my life to neglect certain things so that I could reach a goal. I wanted so desperately to be a Major League Baseball player. I understand what it means to plan to neglect certain things so you can reach a goal. To get good at something, you just need to practice. You need to be obedient. You need to pour your life into it like it's, like it's everything to you. Practice, practice, practice. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Nobody can make you be the person of God that God wants you to be. It's your choice. We can only encourage. I'm reminded by this really a great story. Tourists in New York, you know. And the guy always wanted to see Carnegie Hall, and so he stopped the guy on the streets of New York, which you don't do. So he stopped the guy on the streets of New York and he said, Hey, 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 how can I get to Carnegie Hall? To which the guy said, you know, what did he say? Practice, buddy, practice, and kept walking. <laughs> I thought that was funny, personally, because that's a New Yorker. You don't look him in the eye and you just go, How do I get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, and he kept walking. How do you become a spirit-filled person? Saturate yourself with the Word of God. Practice the things of God. Become overwhelmed by the very essence of the Word of God so that you understand 
what it means to be a person who is a spirit-filled being. That's the only way you do it. There's no shortcut. There's no magical potion that I can turn you to in here and make you a spirit-filled person. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes obedience. Too many of us have been, have been hijacked away from the true faith. We've been told, you know, all you have to do is come to Jesus Christ and everything's going to be all right. And then we sit around, those of us that work in a church, and we watch people grow older but not wiser. We watch people get older in their lives but, but less tolerant. And it hurts. It hurts. It hurts to try to study the Word of God and to try to teach what the Word of God says. It hurts when you say something and you say it over and over again and you watch some people take off like a rocket and yet you see other people just just kind of fizzle. It hurts. You know what would happen the more you study the Word of God? You would become saturated with the things of God and you'd be a Spirit-filled person and your life would be so much more content. But we can't make you do it. We can only offer to you Third Friday to come here one of the most brilliant minds I know of in teaching the Word of God, and that's Kathy Verhoeven. We have that person here. She attends church here. She can teach us. We beg of you to come. We beg of you to get involved and rooted with young people. Be a part of the church. We, we beg of you to read your Bible on a daily basis. For whose benefit? Ours? No. We want you to be saturated with the things of God. And so that's the first part. The will of God is that you be saved. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can only beg of you, I can only beg of you, come to trust in Him, but nobody can make you. Nobody. And there aren't enough altar calls to get everybody to come to Christ. It's nothing about an altar call. It's about a heartbeat. It's about a heart that says, you know, enough of my dodging God. It's enough. I'm going to ask Him into my heart. I'm going to ask Him to forgive me of my sin. And then if you do that, and you want to be a Spirit-filled person, then you need to saturate your thing, your life with the things of God, to study the Word of God. It's no shortcut. It doesn't come with age. It comes with obedience. Next week, we'll take a look at sanctification and giving thanks in all things and doing what is right. And then what you're going to find out is that whatever you do those things and you can do anything you want. You don't have to go to some far off land if you don't want to. God doesn't want you to. He's got plenty of people doing that. You don't have to do anything you don't want. The will of God is that you delight yourselves in Him He'll give you the desire of your heart. Father in heaven, knowing you is the greatest privilege that any of us will ever have, period, case closed. God bless you. Amen. I love you folks. Have a great day.